Hi, I'm Deborah Jian Lee. I report for WBEZ's Curious City, where we take your questions about the Chicago area and chase down answers. Later, we have a story about how Chicagoans used to feel about hawks. Darling, bring me out my six-shooter. I need to take care of this Cooper's hawk because it's going to eat my chicken. But right now, let's do a little trash talk. This comes at the request of one listener who's troubled by the garbage-jumping habits of his neighbors. Ken Coleman lives in Humboldt Park and has seen everything, from contractors offloading items behind his house to alleys that look like disaster zones. Recently, he saw a stack of old tires piled by the garbage and called Curious City. My question is, what's the city's official policy on garbage pickup? Do they take anything that you put out? I took Ken's question to this woman. Hi, my name is Gloria Pittman. I work for the City of Chicago Department of Streets and Sanitation. Pittman supervises trash collection and previously worked on the front lines as a garbage collector herself. So I asked her, is there a limit to what you'll take? We will pick up almost anything. It is our objective to pick up everything that's in front of the truck, be it trash, sofas, uh, on occasions, electronics such as refrigerators, stoves. In other words, size doesn't matter, as long as it's regular household garbage. The department accommodates big items with what's called a special pickup. That's simply a heads-up to garbage collectors to carve out more time. That heads-up can come from supervisors who monitor alleys, or, preferably, it can come from Chicago residents who call 311. If a special pickup sounds like messy work, it is. Let me show you firsthand what it's like for the workers in Chicago alleys. In the Gage Park neighborhood on the southwest side, a blue sanitation truck rolls through a snow-covered alley. Two workers hook trash bins onto something called the flip, which, as its name implies, flips bins upside down into the truck. A heavy blade crushes and scoops trash into the inner chamber. Hook, flip, crush, repeat. The workers have a rhythm. Until they run across what looks like the remnants of an extreme home makeover, Pittman surveys the heap of furniture. This is uh, the love seat, a desk, parts of a table, an end table, a couple mattresses, some chairs, and an ottoman. <laughs> I try talking to the workers, but the most I get out of one guy is this. It's kind of dangerous when I talk at work. And he's right. There's heavy lifting to do, a crushing blade, and sharp flying debris. I watch a mattress flop into the back of the truck. It splinters into pieces. And as you see, the blade is breaking that up and taking it on, and it basically makes room as it goes along. Eight minutes later, it's all been gobbled up. As you see, everything is gone. Hopefully the residents are happy. <laughs> so here we are. We've got our answer. For Chicagoans served by streets and sanitation, there's no size limit to what they can throw out. But this left me wondering, does that mean anything goes? Well, I found another worker, Sonia Clincy, and asked if residents ever abused the policy. Sometimes, some of them, but we also have good residents, too. They actually keep them around their area nice and tidy. You know, it helps us out. So there's no size limit, but there are other limits. Gloria Pittman says they won't pick up hazardous material, and they can issue tickets when contractors dump your gut rehab out back. Also, as a courtesy, don't leave your garbage strewn across the alley. You know, most residents think that we pick up anything, so it's garbage. So if it's garbage to you, it should be garbage to us. They put it out. The worst thing she's ever run across? Human waste and dead pets. 
Here's the inside joke among garbage collectors. You can find out a lot about people with the trash that they throw out. I followed up with our question asker, Ken Coleman. Here's how he felt about the human waste and dead animals. That's not cool. (laughs) Here's what Ken learned from all this. I think it's helpful to know that and you don't have to be sneaky about it. You can call 311 and give them a heads up and be civil about it. To Ken, this is good news. He hopes that now that people know they don't have to be sneaky, they'll stop being so sloppy. Well, here's hoping, Ken. Hi there, I'm Katie Clarkson, and I'll be taking on our next question from listener Carol Zemond. Carol's question reminds us what an impact we humans can have on wildlife, sometimes even for the better. Recently, Carol saw something she'd never seen in Chicago. She was in the Edison Park neighborhood. The birds in a nearby tree went crazy. They were just screeching and screaming, and they all huddled into the tree. Not two seconds later... I saw a hawk just fly right into this mass of birds in the tree. The hawk caught one and then flew away. I mean, it was so fast, so, so fast. This prompted Carol to ask this question. Is anyone studying the increasing hawk activity in Chicago's neighborhoods? First, the easy part. Yes. We found scientists at the Lincoln Park Zoo's Urban Wildlife Institute who are studying hawks and other wildlife in our area. But if we're asking about increased hawk activity, it's tricky because we just don't have much historical data. But the Urban Wildlife Institute folks tell me they had a stroke of luck. A stroke of luck that suggests some Chicago-area hawk species are doing well. I talked with Allison sacerdote Vallette, one of the Institute's scientists. She was shopping at an antique store when she stumbled onto a small book called Wild Birds in City Parks. I saw that it was specifically a study done that focused on Lincoln Park from 1897 to 1903, and I pretty much freaked out when I saw that. This little book by a couple called the Walters included all sorts of data about Chicago birds 100 years ago, like what species were here and when they arrived during migration. Sacerdote Vallette shared the book with her colleagues. And we just immediately thought, like, we need to recreate this. We need to do what the Walters did 100-plus years ago. That was the Institute's Mason Fedino. He focuses a lot of his attention on birds. And he's been recreating the Walters' historic study. Fedino tells me that a certain type of hawk, the Cooper's hawk, is especially common in Chicago these days, which is a change. The Cooper's hawk was not seen whatsoever here 100 years ago. The Walters saw it 0% of the time, and on the accounts that I went out this last year, we saw Cooper's hawks 77% of the time while we were out and about, which is a really big difference. Okay, so yes, Carol's hunch was right. We can say for sure that there are more Cooper's hawks in Chicago now than there were 100 years ago. So what's up with the resurgence? Why were there so few a century ago? My kind of running hypothesis is that Cooper's hawks were just not liked as much by people 100-plus years ago, and so they stuck to areas that had less people. That might be an understatement. 
1906, a man named Alfred O. Gross helped to conduct a bird census in Illinois. He went on to become a respected ornithologist. This guy liked birds. But listen to what he said about our new friend, the Cooper's hawk. Mason Fedino reads the quote. All birds are not good. Much as we desire to commend them, some are positively harmful, as is this handsome robber now upon the screen, the Cooper's hawk. The quote goes on like that for a while. It ends like this. And with his perverted taste for chicken becomes a menace to the county. So He, he like, hates them. Yeah. Doesn't he even use the word pervert at one point? Uh, perverted taste for chicken. Yes, the, the Cooper's hawk really prefers chicken. In fact, their nickname was actually Chicken Hawk. So Chicago area folks hated Cooper's hawks. <laughs> to the point of shooting them. Then in the 1950s, the pesticide DDT probably also lowered their population. And by 1977, the Cooper's hawk was actually on the Illinois endangered species list. So, obviously, a lot's changed in the last few decades. And observant people like Carol are noticing hawks in backyards. Cooper's hawks were finally removed from the Illinois Endangered Species List in 1997. It probably helped that DDT was banned in the early 70s. But Mason Fedino says there could be another reason. These days, we like hawks. People will see uh, a bird of prey and think, like, wow, this is amazing, instead of going, oh, well, like... Darling, bring me out my six-shooter. I need to take care of this, this Cooper's hawk because it's going to eat my chicken. There's one last takeaway from this story about hawks that Carol Zemont got us onto. And again, it's from the folks at the Urban Wildlife Institute. We city dwellers and suburbanites had a hand in keeping down the numbers of Cooper's hawks. But our attitudes changed. We stopped hunting them. We stopped poisoning them. And they came back. The Institute's director, Dr. Seth Magley, would go even further than just changing our attitudes. He talks about cities as part of the wildlife ecosystem. And he says we can even design our cities with conservation in mind. As we continue to try to make our cities green and as we continue to create parks and green infrastructure within our cities around the world, that gives us a tremendous opportunity to make cities a positive force for the conservation of biodiversity around the world. The stories you heard were reported by Deborah Gian Lee and me, Katie Clarkson. Special thanks to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology for all the bird calls. That lab also helped us put together a gorgeous interactive field guide to Chicago hawks. You gotta check it out. That's at wbez.org slash curiouscity. I'm Sean Ali, Curious City editor, by the way. And it's my sad duty to report that this is it for the current season. We're taking a few weeks off from our podcast and being on air. Now, if listening to Curious City is your thing, and we kind of hope it is, we've got 48 podcast episodes for your road trip, your errands, or your commute. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where you can leave a review before our next season. You can also catch us on Stitcher and SoundCloud.com. And I'm Logan Jaffe, multimedia producer for Curious City. I'm letting you know we're still taking your questions and answering them, too. Head to WBEZ.org slash CuriousCity to check out our articles, videos, infographics, and even comics. You can find out what's at the bottom of the Chicago River, the history of independent donut shops, and what it's like to live on minimum wage. You can also follow what we're up to and even help us out. Check out Curious City on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook. 
And I'm Jennifer Brandel, founder and senior producer of Curious City. And back two years ago, I had a crazy idea that if we let you, the public, into our process of assigning and reporting stories with us, you'd be into it. And you have proven that concept right. And thanks to you, my brothers owe me 20 bucks. Curious City is powered by your questions and participation. And it's supported by WBEZ and AIR. Additional support comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. We'll catch you back in a few weeks.